Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another All-22 podcast. You got Chris and Ray again. And today we're going to be talking about Caleb Williams. But Ray, tonight was the first night in three weeks. Today's uh, my son's three-week anniversary mm-hmm. that I, that I uh, cooked dinner for myself. So I've been eating like leftovers, takeout. Just crap. So it feels really nice to have like a home cooked meal, steak and potatoes, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Three weeks into an 18 year sentence, finally got something other than jailhouse food. Must feel great. Must feel great. Dude, it did. It did. Uh, but things are good. Things are good. Had a bad night's sleep, a good night's sleep. So it's a, it's just a roller coaster. But how are you? I am awesome. This is. I was about to say my favorite. I mean, it is my favorite time of year because it's like it's Thanksgiving week, right? We're all about to eat some good food, get into the holiday season, the lights, the football, right? We're getting into crunch time, the stretch run. It is awesome. It is it is the best time of year. But that doesn't mean we can't take a bit of a step back, right? And just kind of take a peek behind the curtain as to what the 2024 draft looks like, right? And just dip our toes in the water into some draft prep and some film study because that's just what we love to do around here, right? Exactly. And I mean, I think it's fitting since I believe Caleb Williams might have played his last game at USC. Uh, we don't know that for sure yet, but kind of seems like maybe that's happening. Um, so yeah, let's jump into it. And I think the, the way I want to do this, right, I want to have a little structure to it. So I th- there are kind of a few ways that I evaluate a prospect. And I think the first is the tape. The first thing I always do is I watch the tape. And I, I want to see what the tape tells me without the other context, right? Like, I don't want to know how fast he is. I don't know what, I don't want to know how tall he is. I don't want to know how many touchdowns he's thrown or how many yards per attempt he has, right? Like, I just want to see the tape and I want to know what, what it means to me, uh, what my initial feel is, right? So that's the first thing I do. So the first thing I want us to talk about is the tape. After that, we could start to get into some of the numbers behind uh, you know, the prospect and see what some of that, what, what story that starts to tell us. And then the last thing, let's finish up with the person, right? Is there anything about his character? Is there anything we've heard about him that's concerning or, or the opposite, right? That really like is a, is a leg up, right? Like a Jalen Hurts type guy, you know, you just hear he's like a, a major leader in the locker room, whatever it might be. Right. So that's how I want to structure this conversation. And let's start out just talking about the tape. So I'm going to talk first really quickly just about the arm. Um, One of the things that I saw on his tape, the first thing that stuck out to me was the way that the ball released from his hand. Um, I think there's only two other players in the NFL today that have a similar style release. And they're both players that I really, really like and have been very successful. Right. So um, he has this kind of live arm, right. With a very, very quick release. And it's almost like that flick of the wrist. Um, the ball comes out of his hand and it looks like he's putting very little effort behind it. Yet the ball essentially explodes out, right? It's, it flies through the air, um, with plenty of, plenty of power. Um, he throws a very tight ball as well. And it's something that reminds me a lot of like an Aaron Rodgers release, the way the ball comes out of his hand. And there's only one other prospect again, that I 
saw that had a similar style motion. That was actually Lamar. I really liked the similarity in the ball release from the hand that Lamar had to Rogers. And I, that was like the biggest reason when Lamar was coming out that I was really high on him because I'm not a guy that likes running quarterbacks. I don't necessarily love a running quarterback because of the injury risks, yada, yada. Can he throw? Can he survive from the pocket? I think Lamar this year is proving that he can do all of those things, right? He's having the best throwing season of his his career, but I don't think he would be able to do that without the throwing motion that he has, which again is something that I saw in Aaron Rodgers and I'm now seeing in Caleb Williams. Uh, so that's my first takeaway, comments or what's you know, a takeaway that you have. Yeah, I actually wrote down a twitchier Matthew Stafford when it comes to throwing the ball because he has that like just live, like just like crack of the whip balls out of there and it just it just flies off the the fingertips there and um but everything he does I, matthew stafford's more of like a almost like a brute power type thrower and with caleb williams everything is just much more just sort of just more full of twitch like everything he does is just twitchy from mm-hmm. from that quarterback spot and so uh yeah it's it's that it's just live that is the best way to describe the arm is just live how the ball just leaves his his hands it's just it's just a live ball and um, which again, of course you want to see, he can, he can play. I mean, yes, he's in Southern California and before that Oklahoma, but he could play in any climate, uh, any type of condition. Uh, that's not going to be some sort of limiting factor like it is with some other quarterbacks because of the way the ball jumps out of his hand and the way he can sort of cut through the elements with that live arm. So just right off the bat, you know, climate, you know, landing spot when it comes to just pure, you know, weather, if he's not in a dome, that's not a concern to me. No, me neither. I don't think that's a concern at all. Uh, Another thing I really liked is the ball placement. So a lot of quarterbacks with his style of play might struggle with getting the ball into the receiver's hands in a way where it leads them to yards after catch, right? Um, Even... 40 yards down the field, I'm seeing Caleb Williams leading his receivers to a way that separates them from the defensive back and allows them to get yards after the catch. Something that, again, players like him st- typically struggle with, right? That play out of structure a lot. Um, I really like that about his game. And I think it's something that, again, shows to me that he has a powerful enough arm to survive in the NFL uh, like, you know, I, I think that was a concern with like a Tua. He has a way stronger arm than a Tua. Um, but he also has the touch like a Tua where he can, again, lead the receiver down the field, put the ball in his hands and let him get that yard after the catch. Something that, again, I think a lot of other quarterbacks struggle with. You mentioned hitting the, you know, hitting the receiver in stride and kind of leading them upfield. And there was one play, I think it was against Oregon this year. I didn't even know what to do with it or how to process it. Uh, it actually might've been Notre Dame on second thought. I'm thinking of the, the color of the uniform here in my head, but essentially there was, there was a receiver, uh, kind of running a hitch and there was a linebacker going from sort of curl to flat. And instead of leading the receiver outside towards the sideline, which is what you would normally expect a quarterback to do with, with the zone defender coming from the inside, the defender had his back to the quarterback as he was you know, trying to make up ground and get into his zone. And Caleb just sort of fired it over the inside shoulder, but up the field so that when the receiver caught the ball, he can just get upfield. He's not going towards the sideline. He is going north and south. 
And it's one of those where it's like, okay, he did that. And I'm like, well, if the defender turns around, he can make a play on this ball, like, because he is between the quarterback and the receiver, but Caleb just sort of rifled it in there up the field. I don't know if that's just a case of spatial awareness to say this, this defender, he's just trying to get to a spot. His back is to me. He doesn't know this is coming. I'm going to get my receiver the maximum amount of yardage that he possibly can out of this throw and fire it up field. Or was it a misfire? I don't know, but like you mentioned consistently, the ball is placed where there's yak opportunity for his receivers, whether that is sort of in that eight to 10 yard range or down the field further. So I think I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that one because the ball placement is consistent, not only through different depths and, you know, whether it's downfield or over the middle, but also from different arm angles and just different situations within the pocket, whether it's collapsing on him or he is on the move or in a clean pocket regardless that that ball placement is, is a big plus in his game. Definitely. And I, I was trying to figure out what strength was my favorite of his. Right. And it's like, is it how quick he releases the ball from his hand? Is it the ball placement or is it his pocket presence? Right. Like you see so many times him escaping pressure, uh, using his feet within the pocket to navigate and find space so that he can keep his eyes downfield and make a throw. Um, you are more into the college football world than I am. And you've probably watched more of USC than I have. Um, tell me what is this offense, right? Like, what do I make of this offense? Because I did see a lot of times him having to escape pressure and try to find creative ways to get the ball down the field. Is that a flaw in his game where he just is playing too much out of structure or is it the offensive line is pitiful and this dude's just making magic happen? Or is it somewhere in between? Okay. I, I, I could go into rant territory here, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to stay in the lane here a little bit and color. I don't know if I want that like rant, if we need to, I'll get there. I mean, it's, it's coming regardless this episode. (laughs) I mean, it's coming, but the offensive line is bad. The offensive line at USC is bad. When people think of bad USC, especially in 2023, of course their mind goes to the defense. And yes, the defense is historically awful inexcusably awful for a program like USC, like absolutely no excuse whatsoever to be that bad. But the offensive line is also very bad. So going into this exercise, right? I've watched USC. We've all watched USC. We've seen Caleb Williams last year and this year. And I kind of went into this thinking or half expecting to see certain flaws in his game, or maybe not even flaws, but just certain instances on tape of him trying to play hero ball or, or bailing from structure. Okay. I've seen every snap of Sean Clifford's six year college football career, every single one. I know what bailing out of the pocket looks like and leaving structure, fleeing structure to try to play backyard football. I was expecting some level of that when I watched Caleb Williams and I saw very little, if any of that, every time he went into like hero mode, it was triggered by either the protection breaking down or all of his options just not being available within the structure of the play. And then from there, he's buying time and going into scramble drill and seeing if someone can break open downfield or running it himself. I was 
so pleasantly surprised. Like I, I was, I was blown away to be honest. Almost every single time it was triggered by something that broke down the structure of the play rather than him breaking down the structure of the play. So this is not, for example, a Justin Fields one read and run. My first read's not there. Okay, time to create and make something happen. That's not this at all. It's also not a BYU Zach Wilson. I'm just gonna go ahead and and flick my wrist and drop my arm angle and just just you know do a bunch of hokey stuff because I can because I'm playing against you know whoever the hell BYU plays every week and I just feel like I could do that. Like that's not this at all. I was actually most surprised and most impressed by the discipline with which Caleb William played. Caleb Williams played down after down after down until the play was over. The structure of the play had run its course and there was nothing there. And then it was, okay, time to go ahead and be Mr. Heisman. I can't emphasize enough how within structure he actually is when the play starts and when the play develops. So there's going to be chatter. There is chatter right now, now that you mentioned he's played his last game. For the most part, we we assume that he's not going to play in the Holiday Bowl or wherever USC goes when they're seven and five uh, on the season. And so now people are starting to say, "Oh, well, you know, USC they kind of you know they underachieved. They have the Notre Dame game in their head. They see the the, the highlights or the lowlights rather of of some of those interceptions and turnovers and." And you start to hear the chatter about, oh, is Drake May sort of ascending into that top spot? Is Caleb Williams dropping? I expected to see some of that. And Caleb William, and Drake May, rather, will have to have the best tape out of anyone since Andrew Luck to even consider that as an option. Because the trigger for Caleb Williams' improvisation was almost always the structure of the play having run its course and nothing being there and not anything else that could be interpreted as or perceived as bailing from a clean pocket or, you know, not trusting his eyes or being fooled by coverage into doing something that wasn't there. And then having to improvise from that. I saw hardly any of that. I was so blown away by this to where like, if, if this guy ran a five, five instead of a four, five, this guy would still be a top-end quarterback because of how he plays within structure. I also want to say I think the offense was almost too quarterback-friendly because there was so many different, you know, bubble screens and 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 delayed screens and such, which is which is great. You know, those quick passes. I get it. It's college. It's Lincoln Riley. It's the spread. You're in the Pac-12. I get it. But every time I saw one of those, it was almost like it was holding Caleb Williams back because he could process everything downfield, front side to back side, and so forth. To where I didn't want to see him just grip it and rip it to you know the the field the the field side hitch because he's one of the few quarterbacks in college who can make that throw, and that's what the defense usually gives the offense anyway. So yeah, I. I I don't know. I could go on, but to make a long story short, this is not someone who bails from structure or has a problem playing within structure. I did not see that hardly at all. Okay. Well, like from the times where he had to bail and, and kind of improvise, you know, I'm comparing him to guys like Rogers and Lamar already, but you know, the bailing from structure and the, what he's able to do out of structure is very Patrick Mahomes. Like you see that, right? It's, it's the, He's, he has pressure, you know, he bails out of the pocket. He has pressure coming at him. He keeps his eyes downfield and he's able to manipulate the defense in a way that he's, he gets his receiver open and he still manages to flick his wrist, get the ball out powerfully enough 
to the guy that he, you know, intends to make a big play. He's doing that consistently. I think the only takeaway I have from that, and so far it's really the only negative I, I see from his film is really more just about his size. Like I'm not sure his size and speed will translate as well in the NFL as it did in college where he's doing these things. He's getting away from pressure. He's running the ball sometimes, um, you know, successfully in college where, you know, he goes to the NFL and what I saw on his tape in college, like he doesn't look fast enough to do that in the NFL. He doesn't look big enough where he's going to be able to take the hits as well in the NFL. And he also doesn't look big enough where he's going to be able to like, intimidate the defense in the NFL. So I think if there's any concern I really have from him, it's that when he does this improvisation in the NFL, because he's likely going to be on a bad team and that's going to need to happen. Is he going to be able to really do that? That's what I wrote down as his biggest adjustment, but the answer is, is yes. So you have, you have an older brother who played football, right? Mm -hmm. I have two younger siblings. When I watch Caleb Williams manipulate the pocket, navigate the pocket by time, it's almost as if like when I was, when I had the remote and my two younger siblings were like kind of, you know, trying to grab at the remote and like grab at anything they can to try to bring me down and get the remote and turn on whatever the heck they wanted to watch when I wanted to see like, I don't know, dodgeball for the third time that day. Right. He, it's almost like he's just playing with his food. Like he knows, like he's just operating at a different level at a different speed than everybody else than the rush he he just is he's able to keep his eyes downfield and and read what's going on as the play develops while still maneuvering away from hits and in and out of the pocket as he needs to because he's almost just not threatened he's just not threatened by the pursuit and in the NFL that's going to change that's what it's one thing to do that against the Pac12 it's another thing to do that when even if it's, you know, just Brian Burns or Daniil Hunter or, or whoever, you know, coming off at the edge, Chase, like let alone Chase Young or Micah Parsons, right? Like obviously it's a completely different animal. He's going to have to adjust, right? But the comfort that he shows when he is improvising and buying that time, that is what translates. So there's a recalibration that has to take place because he's no longer going to be this just sort of, you know, just again, operate at a different speed from everybody else type player than all the other 21 guys on the field. That's not going to be it anymore, right? Everything is going to move faster. The pursuit is going to actually get there. So he's going to have to account for that and adjust to that. But that comfort and ability to maneuver is not going to go away. And to me, I've said it before on this podcast, that is my number one trait when looking that I'm looking for in any quarterback when I'm evaluating them and how they translate from college to the NFL is that comfort that he has on the flip side, the ball security has to improve. He, he holds it like that loaf of bread. Again, he's so comfortable back there. He's so not threatened that he's just gripping it. He's palming the ball, just ready to rip it at a moment's notice. He's going to have to get two hands on that ball when he is moving and maneuvering in the NFL, he's not going to be able to get away with how he just sort of leaves it out there in college. It's bit him a few times already in 2023. We did see that against Notre Dame. We saw that against Oregon as well in particular. So that's something he has to clean up. But the trait that you want to see that translates to the NFL is there at a very high level. 
Okay. All right. It is. I, I think my concern, and I'm going to go down a little road. I'm going to go on my small rant right now. It's, it's when I watch the film and I see what he's being compared to, I, you know, I hear the Andrew Lux and the Trevor Lawrence and that he's that level of prospect. But when I think of that level of prospect and the reason those two guys were considered to be that level of prospect is because of the prototypical size, strength, athleticism, in addition to what they can do as a thrower of the football, right? I think Caleb Williams can do the thrower of the football stuff and he, you know, he plays the game like anybody else can, but is he the prototype when you would build a quarterback? I'd say no, right? Like my prototypical quarterback is not 6'1", 215, <laughs> right? He, my, my, like Andrew Luck was 240 and he was 6'4", right? Like that's a prototype. Trevor Lawrence is 6'6". Like, I really like CJ Stroud. He's 6'3". So like in my mind, that's more the prototype. When I looked and I watched his game, I saw a lot more of the, I don't want to say Baker, but Baker and Kyler Murray, right? Like in my mind, those guys aren't the prototype. Those guys are like the ballers, right? Like when you watch their film, it's like these dudes, you just see them play and you're like, that dude just balls, right? Like that guy knows how to play football. That guy knows how to win games. He knows what it takes to just like, it's like when you're in high school and there's that one kid on the basketball court, that's just so much better than everybody else. And he just takes the game under you know his hands and wins it for his team. Like that's what I saw a lot of, of um, Caleb Williams doing. I saw a lot of Baker doing that. Saw a lot of Kyler doing that. I think something similar with Baker is Baker tried to do a lot with his legs in college, and I didn't see it translate in the NFL, right? Like Baker is not quick enough, fast enough, big enough to do that. And he's a similar size probably to what a Caleb Williams is going to measure in at. So it's very similar. Yeah. I think Almost that's identical. right. Like in my mind, I don't think he's the prototype. I think he's the baller. I'm not saying that as a negative, but I will say that you know, Baker was this, like people didn't really see Baker as this elite prospect, but when you look at his grading, he really was. And, you know, he went to maybe a less than ideal situation at first and it was hard. Right. And then he succeeded more as the team got better. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think you can kind of say the same thing about Kyler. It's like when the situation isn't ideal, it's really hard for these guys to be successful. So I think my biggest worry for a guy with the baller tag is what does the guy with the baller tag do when he's the quarterback of the Chicago bears, right? Like, because that's who has the number one pick right now. Um, So again, just watching the film, when I'm talking about the film, I see a guy that is a playmaker takes, takes the game under his hands, does everything he can to win. He wills his team to win, but a lot of the, the physical abilities that he has look extremely good at college and I think from a throwing standpoint, they will look extremely good in the NFL, but from a physical standpoint, might not. Yeah, I, I think I think his impact on the ground, it's almost too strong of a word to say is going to be limited to, but it's going to be Mahomes-esque. It's not going to be Lamar. It's not going to be Kyler. Uh, but what you hope for is that it's at the level of Mahomes to where if something is not there. You see Mahomes, how he kind of scrambles and – and, you know, gets those annoying first downs on the ground uh, to just sort of demoralize the defense, especially if it's on third down. I think that's what you're looking for as opposed to someone who's going to consistently open up the defense due to the threat of their legs like a Kyler or a Lamar. It's definitely not that. Um, 
but he will make them pay. And because he's not at the level mobility wise of a Lamar or of a Kyler, he is going to have to learn again to adjust. Again, it's one of those other adjustments he's going to have to make when he goes to the pros is taking care of himself, right? Protecting himself, sliding, you know, again, just preserving his body because you may not have to do that at Pac-12. You are going to have to do that in the NFL, especially given that, again, he's not going to be that guy that just completely opens up the defense as a result of his legs. So, yeah, I agree with it. But also, to be fair to him, too, he's much more of a dynamic athlete than even a Baker was, who is underrated for his athleticism and even his arm strength, to to be fair. But... Caleb at each of those is still at a bit of a different level, despite the the size or the lack of prototype size that they each possess. So it's an adjustment for Caleb. And yeah, he's not going to be, you know, high end dual threat mobility guy, but he's going to be, you know, run for 35 yards, scramble for a couple first downs per game type guy with his legs in the NFL. Yeah. And I think, I think a part of why I was kind of skewed to, to that thinking is because so much of his film is out of structure, right? So you see it so often, but to your point, maybe that's a flaw of the system that he's in and the team that he's on, where if he goes to the right NFL team, it's not a concern, right? He, he's going to be able to play within the pocket and do things and only use those skills that he has if, if, if he really needs to, and it's not going to be every other play, right? And I wonder if my interpretation of his tape would have been very different had that been the case. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about from what you saw just on film? Let's see what I got here. Um, <clears throat> I'll try to go through the bullets quickly. I think we hit on pretty much all of them. I got my Caleb Williams file, the good pocket presence, quick processor goes through progressions. I wrote down side note against Stanford hit a backside dig versus what looked like a cover six. It was his third read uh, after the front side was not there. And instead of bailing, hit that backside uh, route over the middle. So again, not someone who, hey, play's not there. I'm just going to run. He will go through all of his progressions and it shows on tape. Uh, Extending of plays, arm talent and accuracy, throwing ability on the move, recognition, blitz. There's a corner blitz against Oregon that comes from uh, his blind side. He feels it immediately, rolls out to his right, uh, and just buys extra time to to make a play happen there. Was unbothered, unaffected by it, and the blitz did not get home. So uh, his recognition is also top-notch, sort of pre and at the snap. Uh, different arm slots with ease, natural feel for the game, the bad. When Wait, I took you note of the bad, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. the good. Right there. You, you hit on two points that I, I didn't, and I think I almost took it for granted because it was so easy for him in his film. And that's the, the going through your progressions, right? There's not a lot of college quarterbacks that do it like him, but because he does it so well on every single play. Yeah. I think I took it for granted. So I'm glad that you brought that one up. Um, yes, there's tons of evidence of that in his film. And then I want to just say quickly that you're right. The the pocket presence almost shows a, a bit of, you know, QBIQ that, again, it's it's it can be kind of glossed over because he does it so well, so consistently. But it shows how smart he must be and must uh, must be able to register, right, that, that quarterback IQ. 
how quickly he registers things to be able to pick up on those blitzes so frequently. And again, be able to move within the pocket in a way that enables him to prolong plays that other quarterbacks just, just can't. Right. So um, two other positives, I definitely think we need to make note of, right. So glad you brought it up. So it's the, the processing your plays and it's quarterback IQ. I think those definitely need to go in the positive stamp uh, category. Yeah. And they're overshadowed by his highlights. They, <laughs> they just are, but that down to down stuff that people after seeing the, the, the subpar season or the disappointing season from USC thus far, they take note of some of the lowlights in those games and without diving in, cause it is still early, right. To give them the benefit of the doubt, to be fair, assuming they do their homework, right. They attribute some of that to perhaps a, uh, a consistent or just a, a, a trend. I'm, I'm not even, I don't even know the word right now, but a propensity. There you go. That's a big word. Look that one up, Chris, a propensity to abandon structure or not go through those reads. And when you dive in, like I said earlier, it's actually not the case. So uh, yeah, it is an important point to hammer home over and over again, because I think we're going to start to hear a lot of chatter about that. And quite frankly, it's just lazy and it's, and it's just not true. Um, so yeah, that's the good, the bad, the turnovers are often a result of hero ball. So I mentioned it like when I mentioned hero ball, right. Thus far, it's always been in the context of the good part of his game, right? Which, which it is, he does things that other players can't do. There are maybe four players on the planet who can do what he does outside of structure or when it comes to creating plays there's just not many humans at quarterback who can do that so it's absolutely a good but with that of course is the bad which is when it doesn't work out right so for example notre dame uh, i believe it was the first interception he's rolling out to his left um he's got sort of defenders at his feet there's the, the play is just kind of naturally flowing to the sideline he kind of leaves his feet as the rush is getting to his legs and tries to fit the ball in a window that's just not there. And it's picked off. It's a bad interception. Should have been a throwaway or just an eaten sack and lived to fight another day. Instead, he tried to play hero ball and got burned. So the hero ball does burn him, but it is not a result of abandoning structure or not playing within structure or going through his progressions. If you watch the play, he went through the progression of the play. And then when nothing was there, as things broke down, he just did what he does, which is create and try to make something happen. So the hero ball can absolutely be a negative, but it's a matter of, again, what's the root of that? And the root of that is not a lack of ability to, play within structure or progress through his reads or a propensity to be fooled by coverage that then baits him into making these throws or, you know, bailing the pocket and then trying to make something happen. That's not what happened. It's just that things broke down because sometimes plays just aren't there. And someone with his ability is not conditioned to just saying, all right, time to just throw it away, hammer it into the dirt, fire it at the feet of the, the closest receiver, what have you, and move on. That's just not his DNA right now because it's never had to be his DNA. So that's something that's going to have to be adjusted and recalibrated for in the NFL because you're not going to take away that hero ball. It's what makes him great. But he's going to have to get conditioned to what kind of plays he can make 
when he is outside of the pocket and when the rush is closing in on him and what type of plays he can't because the windows are smaller, the defenders are quicker, and those plays are just not open for as long as they are. So that is the bad or the needs improvement to his game when it comes to the outside of structure uh, element to his performance. I mentioned ball security already plays kind of fast and loose when he's rolling out of the pocket, making those spin moves. Even when he turns his back to the defense, dude, put two hands on the ball. There is no need for you to have one hand on the ball when you're not even looking at the defense because you're trying to spin out of a rush from your blind side and, you know, escape the pocket and see what else is downfield. Once you reset, keep both hands on the ball. The last negative that I have is we'll sometimes take a deep shot one-on-one when the safer throw is available. However, he will not neglect his check down if there are no other open options. So it's more so just a propensity to sort of take the shot when he has one-on-one versus here's a guaranteed seven yards. You get away with that more in college because that's more likely to go in your favor, either through a completion, especially when you consider his ball placement, or when you consider the fact that, again, defensive back play is not quite as polished, especially in the back 12. Uh, in college football. So there is a higher propensity to get some, you know, just a pass interference penalty, get the 15 yards and a free first down and move on to the next play. It's not going to be quite that easy in the NFL. He's going to have to sort of, again, recalibrate and move more towards that. Hey, I'll take the easy five to six yards here, you know, depending on game script and game situation, of course, then taking the deep play, the deep play, just because it is, you know, quote unquote, one-on-one coverage. So those are the three negatives that I have to his game. If we want to stop there and talk about those even more before we go into anything else. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's kind of a flaw of the NFL today and I I don't know if there's a good way to fix it. Right. I'm not saying there is, but the way the NFL draft is currently structured, right. It's the worst team gets the best pick. Um, And when you have a guy like, like Caleb Williams, a guy like Kyler, a guy like Baker, where they are this baller type player, um, and you talked about they they tend to play hero ball, right? And they tend to put put the team on their back and do everything they can to win. When you're on a team that's the worst team in the NFL, you're doing that a lot, right? And that leads to turnover. So you're saying that these are things that he needs to fix. And I think my concern, and, and again, it's a flaw of the way the NFL does it, is he's going to go to a team that it's going to be very difficult to get away from that type of football. Um, so that concern to me is is a real one right it's it's a how many years are we going to have to wait before he kind of turns into something worth you know investing in from a from a fantasy perspective in all 22 where he could grade high enough right um one positive i'll say right so chicago being the team with the number one overall pick um likely will take him at one, right? And it's not that they have to trade multiple years of assets to go get that player. I think my my biggest concern with like a Bryce Young is that's, you know, they traded multiple years of first round picks to get him. The situation is not good. It's not ready for, you, you know, to insert your franchise quarterback. So it's really hard for that franchise quarterback to, to develop. Um, the Bears don't have to do that. So Caleb Williams could step in if there are flaws on that team, they can still go and invest assets into fixing those flaws year over year. That's, I think, a positive. But again, when you play hero ball on a bad team, it typically doesn't work out all that well. 
Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Bears. I think that actually would be a good spot for him because they have multiple picks, right? They have theirs. They have the Panthers. They have theirs, and, the Panthers, and if they trade Justin Fields, maybe they get another yeah. second. Right. Right. So but let's stick with what we know they have, right? So they have theirs. They have the Panthers, which is trending another top five, let's say, right? So let's say they have two picks in the top five. If you look at that offensive line, they already have Braxton, when healthy, Braxton Jones, Darnell Wright, Tevin Jenkins. They actually have some pretty decent pieces on the offensive line. And they do have DJ Moore. So if you take Caleb Williams and you're picking again at four or five, and you're staring at potentially Marvin Harrison Jr., with DJ Moore, all of a sudden you have a decent offensive line, DJ Moore and Marvin Harrison Jr. Cole Komet at tight end is, is fine, right? That's that's a big target, if nothing else, to be quarterback friendly for a young player. That's not a bad starting point. I don't think the Bears would be a bad landing spot for someone like Caleb with those building blocks if they play it that way. If they do what the Jets did uh, and kind of uh, teeter-totter, or, or maybe I'm thinking of the Giants, right, when uh, they have two first and they go once offense, one defense, if they just go in on saying, all right, we're getting our quarterback and we're making his life easy and the defense will figure it out some other point in time, I'm not, I'm not worried about that landing spot. I actually really like it. So, uh, you know, that's eight steps ahead of where we are today, right? Tons to play out. But I mean, the flip side of that is if we want to turn back the clock a little bit, what if Marvin Harrison Jr. is not there? Say he gets drafted third or fourth and let's say the bears pick fifth with their second pick, right? And they get old fashioned, let's say, and then they move Darnell right inside to guard. Hello, Braxton Jones, Olu, Tevin Jenkins, and Darnell Wright as four of your five offensive linemen. I mean, that's that's great too. So um, if it shakes out in the Bears' favor, I, I don't mind the landing spot at all for Caleb Williams if that's where it shakes out. So again, this is a, this is a Caleb Williams podcast, not a Bears podcast, but um, there is an opportunity for a, an actual advantageous landing spot for the number one pick in the draft this year as a result of that trade they made with Carolina last year. And if yeah. you're Carolina, you got to be kicking yourselves. Like, what? Why did we do this? So, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, that's the owner being impatient, right? And you, as the GM, need to be smarter that, than that in all twenty-two. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big Darnell Wright guy, so I kind of actually prefer mm-hmm. that situation where they end up getting in in uh, Fashano. Uh, I think my 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 other just kind of concern there is, you know, I think this draft was looking really deep at one point. I think the offensive linemen, the two offensive tackles, maybe three offensive tackles all look good. Um, Marvin Harrison obviously looks good. And then you have the two quarterbacks. But if you don't end up in the top five and maybe you're six, seven or eight, I'm not so sure, right? Because uh, Sanders is likely going back to school. Quinn Ewers is maybe going back to school. Not sure if there's a quarterback that makes sense after that. At this point, again, I haven't watched it fully all the tape. There's not sure. Not sure there's another top five quarterback in this class. So you lose that. And then I think from a defensive perspective, again, I haven't watched all the tape yet, but I'm not sure there's really even a top five defensive player in this draft, right? The edge rushers are not that level. The the uh, corners aren't that level. Um, and those are really the only two positions besides maybe defensive interior. And I, and I know there aren't any defensive interiors at that level, Um so it's really going to be, I think, those tackles, 
Marvin Harrison and those two quarterbacks. So if you don't end up with one of those picks, and again, this is a Caleb Williams podcast. We're going down a, a road we don't have to right now. But I do think it's relevant to Caleb Williams because we're talking about those flaws and can they make can can he be put in a situation that's good enough to make him look good? I'm not sure it's as easy as we're making it seem. I don't know if the Bears are that easy of a landing spot, but we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see. Cool. Yeah. Go, so the numbers put us in charge, and we'll we'll figure it out. It's fine. We would definitely we figure it out. But okay, the numbers, right? So I I don't typically look at the stats, right? So yes, he's thrown for 4,500 yards. He's thrown for over 40 touchdowns in a season. It's all good. But the things that really stuck out to me, right? So the biggest one that I'll talk about is time to throw. So we talked about him playing out of structure a lot, but never in his career has he had under a 3.15 second time to throw. Uh, this year is his best, and it's at 3.16, which is actually fourth worst out of all ed- eligible quarterbacks you know, that have played significant snaps in uh, D1 football. So just for context, right, Justin Fields was talked about as a quarterback that took way too long to throw the ball, and he did in 3.11 seconds. So again, Caleb Williams, 3.16, significantly higher than Justin Fields, and again, this is the best of his career. Trevor Lawrence, for example, right, that prototype that we talked about, 2.35 seconds in his last year in college. Um, Baker, 2.96. Even a guy like Lamar, who who runs a, sig- a significant amount and extends place himself, 3.05 seconds in 2017 in his last year in college. The only quarterbacks that or the only quarterback with a similar kind of throwing time is actually Jalen Hurts, 3.45 in his last year, which was actually one of the worst of his career, right? He, he was in college for a while. Um, that was like the worst of his career, but that's that's an ex- extreme, right? So we know now of one situation of a quarterback that had that level of time to throw that worked out, right? Justin Fields has not. So we have to go to Jalen Hurts. Um, and you look at the team that Jalen Hurts is on with the offensive line that he has, with the weapons that he has, it's an easy situation to be able to fix that that uh, that issue. To me, again, does it get a lot easier for him in the NFL when he's playing within structure if he's able to? I think it's really dependent on the team. So that, to me, is the biggest kind of standout number that I think we need to be concerned about. So who are the comparables with that time to throw? Uh, Justin Fields is the closest uh, Kyler's a little bit better at 3.05, Lamar 3.05. Again, I don't think he's the runner that either of those guys are. Um, but besides that, it's Justin Fields. And then the worst case is really Jalen Hurts of the quarterbacks that have panned out. Yeah, he processes at a different level from all of them. I'm, I'm just, I, I went into this thinking I was going to see some symptoms of Justin Fields. I saw no. none. I saw none. I saw none. I think that time to throw is high because he completes his progressions and then plays with his food until something comes open. He is, again, he's the two siblings grabbing at the remote and he's just watching over them, watching the TV, not even paying them any mind, unbothered. That's that's him. I'm I'm not concerned. I, maybe I should be. I'm not. I, I didn't see anything that concerned me. And, and I went into this with Justin Fields in mind in particular, because I thought that might be a name that comes up a lot when people sort of at first blush uh, sort of go to some some different comparisons to, hey, playmaker, big arm, but hasn't exactly worked out. Lots of highlights, seems to be out of structure. 
So I went in with, is this going to be Justin Fields? And he is not. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't see yeah. a comparison to Justin Fields at all. Uh, but mm-hmm. Baker, right? Baker to me is a guy that kind of has similar play style and was a quick processor, right? And he did it in 2.96 seconds, which is, you know, two tenths of a second faster. Um, so again, a little concerning, yeah. but well, I, well, I one thing to keep you. in mind there too. Yeah. Just to your point about Baker, same offense, same college coach, Lincoln Riley offenses. Mm-hmm. So that's also just a part of it too, is it's, it's a part of it is that offense. It's, it's not one read and go. It is one, two backside check down. Okay. Now what they're, they're going through the full progression play to play. I mean, outside of the, the screens and the, Hey, you got numbers here, throw the quick out. You know, we mentioned those a little earlier too. So outside of those where it's just sort of like a call to play to be quick, it is not a, Hey, one and done run and gun type of offense. It is a fully structured offense. So I think just naturally too, a part of that is that that time to throw is likely going to be a bit higher when you consider the style of offense. In addition to, again, of course, just the improvisation that of course is naturally going to drive that up. Also, duh, how could we forget Jalen hurts also a part of that offense in college too. all three of those guys under Lincoln Riley. So again, I, I think, it's yes, the, trend. I think the trend here is, yeah, is the offense. <laughs> so, okay. uh, the offense and they're all sort of play extenders and they're all right in their own right too, which again, ballers, that's the guy that Lincoln Riley targets. That's his type. The baller. Okay. So mm-hmm. moving on from there, I think, you know, the big time throw rate, uh, he was, he had 27 big time throws. That's fourth best in all of college football this year. Not a concern at all. That's, that's really exciting. And he doesn't turn the ball over that much. So yes, it is higher than maybe you'd like it to be, but it isn't like significantly bad when you look at how it compares to other college quarterbacks. It's fine, right? Those those numbers all are good. Uh, his average depth of target all three years have been over nine yards per attempt, which again is like great. It's really good. Um, anything over like seven, eight yards is, is good. And then doing it over nine is very good. Um, and then I think the other thing is... Um, this year, I'd say the that his turnover-worthy play rate, although not bad, is a lot higher than the other guys that are being considered as the top quarterbacks in this uh, this draft. So 3.6% for Caleb Williams, which again, isn't awful. Um, and then other guys like Drake May, uh, Shador, um, Michael Penix, uh, JJ McCarthy, they are all under two. So it is a significant jump from the other guys, but it's not something that really stuck out to me as like a major concern. Yeah. When Michigan plays good football teams, they don't even want JJ McCarthy to throw the football. I mean, they played Maryland this past weekend. The game got tight and they didn't want JJ McCarthy to throw the football, uh, threw the ball once in the second half against Penn state. JJ McCarthy's not in this same league. Um, it's just not. And I mean, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Uh, the turnover really plays naturally given his style is going to be a bit higher. It's just, it's just what it is, right? Some of those freaking turnover where they place turn into 40 yard completions. That's just another thing too. Um, so yeah, it's just a natural part of his style that you're going to have it a bit higher than the norm, uh, than, than those other good players. Another part of it too, is that defense we talked about it is historically bad. A lot of times when I watched, when I studied Caleb, not just watched, but more so really studied, 
I noticed that a lot of those riskier throws were made and came once they fell behind by more than one possession. They knew they had to sort of really make it up quick because that defense was not going to hold. If you fall down, if you, if you, you know, uh, trail by more than 10 points with USC's defense, you're going to, you have to score every other time you have the ball because you can't expect them to get more than one or two stops for an entire half of football, because that's just how that defense is. So a lot of it I noticed was just Caleb pressing, trying to make something happen a bit later on as things kind of snowballed. And that's not to excuse it because sometimes there were other plays there or rather just throwaways there that could then live to fight another day. But when you combine his style with the lack of defense on, you know, on the other side of his team, sometimes things are going to be forced. Okay. All right. Well, that's all I had for the numbers. And next thing I want to talk about is like the person, right? So I would say that um, Drake may, which again, I haven't watched enough of him yet to talk about, to be ready to talk about, but benefited. He benefited greatly this year from there being a Caleb Williams, right? I don't think people really, drill down on the person of Drake May. So you don't hear a lot about him and the things, his antics, things that he does, people's opinions of him as a person. But you hear a lot about that, about Caleb Williams. And, you know, I think that that's unfortunate because it does start to weigh on a guy, right? Um, Caleb Williams, you know, things that we've heard, right? We've heard that he wanted ownership stake in whatever team drafts him. We heard that he cried after a loss, you know, with, with his mom, right. Right. He went into the stands and cried with his mom instead of it going and, you know, like talking to his team and being the leader of that team. Um, we've talked, you know, he transferred and followed his coach from one school to the next. We, we talk about him saying that if the wrong team drafts him or if the wrong team gets the number one pick, he'll likely stay in school. Um, all things that I think definitely, reflect the person but i would also just say you know there's a lot of pressure on a guy that is being heralded as you know the michael jordan the the number one guy of a generation it's a lot of pressure i think the only other thing that i've heard and they you know you can tell me other things but it's just you know can he win important games right like he had you can you can argue that this this year's team wasn't good enough, but last year's team he had better weapons. It was a better team, and they they didn't do it right. He's never won a playoff game. He never got his team there. Uh, so is he able to lead a team? Is he able to be the voice in a locker room that's going to take a team to the next level? Something that a guy like Mahomes does extremely well. A guy like you know C.J. Stroud is doing right. So all things that are kind of going on. I don't know how you want to break this down, but. What are your thoughts about it all? Yeah, and some of those, some of those, when you isolate them, aren't inherently bad, and some of those aren't necessarily him, but similar to Will Levis, uh, are the people around him, right? I think some things like I want ownership stake in whoever drafts me, or I'm going to go back to school if Arizona picks me i think that's more so people around him than him actually saying those things 
which is still something that you need to look into that that is something that has to be sort of worked out right this is the nfl they're going to turn over every single stone learn everything they possibly can about you and and basically try to get the full picture of everything about you from your birth till draft night uh and leave no stone unturned so those are all things that have to be considered looked into further and sort of weighed into when you are drafting at the top of the first round but i'm not well let's just say this before anything else before we go even further down the off-field stuff right the guy's a competitor when you watch the tape the guy is a competitor if there is a a a, a sweet play or an option pitch or, or what have you he is sprinting to throw blocks for for the ball carrier at times and like actual blocks not like oh i guess i gotta kind of make it look like i'm throwing a block five yards downfield because the the runner cut it back uh to my side of the field and now i'm just out here in space and everyone's looking at me like no he's actually trying to throw blocks at times so this is someone who lays it out there who is not scared to compete and and really you know laid on the line for his teammates this is he is that guy. He's he's not someone who's gonna just you know self preserve in in certain situations. So that's one thing which I think is a chief concern when you do look into some of these off field stuff. Is okay. Well, how does this impact him on the field and how he interacts with his teammates? And just from watching him play, I think you can put a lot of that to bed. Now the camp, yeah, I think the camp is something to be worrisome. I mean, QB dads are a thing, right? There's that show QB one or whatever. They could make a, a whole series or whatever, just about the dads and how crazy they are. And I think when you have someone at this level, honestly, the camp is just naturally going to be some of that unless, you know, you want to talk about Andrew Luck and his father's like, you know, I don't know what he is now. He's like really high up in like the big 12 or the NCAA or West Virginia or something like, you know, unless you have something like that, there's going to be noise around players who are this high profile. To date, I think all things told, he in particular has handled it pretty well. Um, the crying thing, you don't want to see him. You, you don't really want to see him cry on the camera. You just don't want to see it, right? But I mean, on the flip side, this isn't someone who, ah, we lost. Well, you know, I'm just going to prep for the combine and just, you know, whatever. It did still mean something to him that that second loss really eliminated his team from playoff contention. So I think the main thing is still the main thing with him, even if it's not the main thing for those around him. So as long as he can continue to keep the main thing, the main thing when he's in the pros, then I think you're okay. Because let's be real, he's been getting paid already for the last two years. He's been getting paid handsomely the last two years, not eight-figure first-round quarterback, first overall quarterback handsome, but he's been getting paid, and so he's had already to deal with the money and the fame and the notoriety that comes with that. And while it hasn't been all perfect, the main thing has still shown to be the main thing with him, and to me, that's a positive. 100%. So, Ray, my video paused again, so as long as you can hear Love me, it. let's keep going. Can you hear me? I can hear, yeah, I can hear Amazing. you. You look like PlayStation One again. I just, yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's keep rolling. And and I think I agree with you, right? So like all of the noise that we're hearing 
it would typically concern me if I didn't see the guy caring. But you're right. He cares. He cares a lot for what he's doing. He cares about his teammates. He cares about his coaches. And he's 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 out there every game putting everything he has on the line. That's why I give him that tag baller because he really does put everything he has into every single play. Um, I'm I'm cool with that, right? Like I'm cool with investing in that person. Again, I hope he goes to the right team in the right situation where it's not like a Kyler where people are just nitpicking every little thing he does. And, you know, it looks bad because the situation sucks. Um, but yeah, I, I think at this point, the personality, the person isn't a concern at all. I'd say that's like a pass, right? That's to me, that's either a pass or a fail. There's no like degrees of it. And to me right now, he's got a pass. Yeah, I, I would say so for sure. Um, we talk about body language and I think, I think we could agree. We prefer that body language to be that not all the time, of course, because then that's going to wear old and it's going to be bad, but it's not all the time. Right. But you would prefer that body language, you know, post, was it the Arizona, I forget which, whatever that second loss was versus not caring or versus some of the Kyler Murray body language that we've seen in the past to be quite frank, right. Uh, After some losses. So I think you prefer that over the alternative, um, and yeah, I, I'm not even sure if this is a negative or a positive either, but to just put it this way, if Caleb Williams had his way, there would be some other high end first round picks or projected first round picks rather that would be playing with him at USC this season that he tried to broker in the off season. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Uh, but it's something it's there. Um, so just something to note, but I think overall I'm, I'm more so concerned with, or would just look more into his camp than him. Uh, I think it's probably the best way to sum it up. And it's not something that's just unique to him or just unique to high, you know, highly drafted quarterbacks or players. I mean, I said the name already and I'll say it again because the truth is a hell of a defense, but Will Levis, a lot of it wasn't him, but a lot of the issues, it's not just some of the tape that caused him to fall out of the first round. It was other stuff there too. That really wasn't necessarily his fault. Interesting. Interesting. The only other thing I'd say, right, that I think there is to explore at this point with what we know about Caleb Williams is the injury history and I don't think there's anything there that's that significant, right? Like maybe there's like a hammy, maybe like a finger or two, right? But like nothing that's, hey, he tore his knee. You know, is that going to hamper him? Is that going to be a problem in five years? Nothing like that. No, yeah, I don't think there's anything there. Um, that's sort of long-term, right? You talk about Michael Penix, he's got two torn knees, um, you know, things like that. There's nothing like that with Caleb. Yeah, maybe some minor stuff. So I, I think injury-wise, he's good. One thing to note is we were talking about some of the the personality and stuff too. Yeah, you definitely can't uh, paint your nails anymore. That's something that has to stop. You can't paint the phrases on your nails in the NFL. You just, you can't do that. You're not going to get away with that in the locker room. Uh, don't do that. And we talked about adjustments on the field. Part of the adjustment off the field or, on, yeah, probably off the field, let's say, again, is to this point, he has been able to dictate everything around him, right? Whether it's, yes, obviously his college recruitment as a number one guy, 
everything being offered to him by everybody and having his pick of the litter and then being able to follow his head coach over to USC. And like I mentioned, trying to broker some additional players going over to him uh, for the 2023 season at USC as well, right? He's no longer dictating. He has to learn to not be the dictator anymore. He's going to be the newbie, the rookie, the young guy. He's not the one calling the shots anymore when he first steps onto the NFL field or into an NFL locker room. That's something he's going to have to adjust to. But again, that's not unique to Caleb Williams. It may be to a higher degree because of his profile than even some of the other top guys that have come out in recent years, but it's not unique to him and his specific situation. The only way I could see that maybe continuing, and you tell me if this is crazy or not, but I've, I've heard rumblings about Lincoln Riley being a head coach in the NFL at some point. Could there be a match made where a team says, hey, Caleb, I know, you know you've been thinking about going back to school, but you know we'd be happy to hire, you know, if Lincoln Riley will come to us, we'll take him, we'll take you, and you guys run this thing back and prove what you guys can be together in the NFL. Oh, gosh. I would not like that. Um, even if it's, a, oh, yeah, it's comfort with with his head coach and everything, I would not like that. I do think that has to stop at some point. <laughs> and I'm not sure Lincoln Riley, I do think Lincoln Riley profiles better as a pro coach than college. He just does. I think the style, not even just on Sundays, but I just mean organizationally, practice-wise, uh, the way that the players are conditioned he treats his college program more so like an NFL program. They don't hit as much. They're much more self-preservation focused. And I think some of that shows up with the defensive issues that you see uh, with his teams in college. Not all of it. It's not, it's not to excuse all of it, or it's not the, it's not the primary reason for all that, but it is a big factor. So I think he actually fits better in the pro game for that, but I would not like that because you're already as an organization almost starting to let the tail wag the dog in that situation. And that would be a legit red flag that I can't put on his camp anymore. And it might not even be Caleb's idea, right? I mean, if the, if the organization does, the organization does it, but that's, that's not good. I, I think at some point you, you do want that separation. You're a pro now time to live in the pros, be a pro, do it our way and go from there. I would not like that. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that now that you bring that up and I wouldn't like it. All right. Well, guys, this was the Caleb Williams episode. I don't think I have enough yet where I'm saying I'm ready to rank him in my rankings, right? Like where does he rank with the last five, six years of guys? I don't think I'm ready to do that yet, but that will come. And I think we need to do this maybe every few weeks, throw in another prospect. I do think we need to watch Drake May and be prepared to talk about him because I want to see how he compares if there is any truth to the rumblings that they're close. Um, but yeah, let's, let's keep this going and everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all 22 underscore PFF and leave us a review for our podcast, wherever you watch or listen. And thanks so much for tuning in. I'm saluting. I don't know if you see me, but I'm saluting. Yeah. Can't see a thing. (laughs) Not even the thumbnail. Go.